You're listening to another episode of Women and Music, and I'm your host, Alexa Ace. How exciting is it to see that the world is planning for shows again? It's almost unreal, even though I know we desperately each want it to be real and to be safe and to have that concert community again. Oh my God, I can't even think about it. It makes me so excited, but I'm very, very fucking vocal about the things I believe in on here. And I gotta say, get vaccinated. If you have the opportunity, now is your chance. Stop putting it off. Stop letting weird QAnon fuckers think that science doesn't exist. Science exists and music heals. The world is opening up. Concerts are about to happen. Get vaccinated and let's dance. Today's guest has been side stage, backstage, and even in Central Park with Florence Welch of Florence the Machine. Would you believe me if I said that last bit was how today's guests got into the music industry? Well, you better believe because you're about to get the full story. Multi-platinum selling artist manager Atlanta Cop has grown up in the forefront of the UK music industry and is now making waves of her own. By the age of 18, out of 5,000 applicants, she had successfully achieved a place in the Sony Music Intern Program. That's a big deal. Atlanta took this internship by the horns, securing international success with major recording artists, which you'll hear at labels such as Columbia and Island Records. Atlanta's also recently managed number one selling artist Becky Hill and now day-to-day manages Ella Henderson, who's also currently on the top charts with her latest single, Let's Go Home Together. Introducing Atlanta Cobb. Alrighty, Rue, Atlanta, it's been a while. Hello, how's it going? Hello, hello. hello. It's been years. I know, it's been so, so long. Feel like we've really grown up, haven't we? Look at us now. Yeah, yeah, for real. I mean, I can't wait to hear your story. Like when we were in conversation, even just over email, I was like, holy crap. Just in a few years, you've done so much. And I can't I wait to really like touch on that. I'd love yeah. to start with kind of where you got started in the music industry. So tell us about the time you shared tea with Florence and the Machine. Uh, <laughs> starting off so casual. Yeah, just tea with Florence and the Machine. No, but that really was probably how I got into the industry. It's the maddest thing. I started off as a super fan, just like most people, I guess. I guess most people in the music industry are super fans. So I was 15 years old and I created, (laughs) it's actually quite embarrassing now. I created one of Florence Machine's very first fan pages and it did quite well. And through that, I met a lot of other hardcore Florence Machine fans. One of them was based in New York and then another one had already just met Florence's management and Florence at another show in the UK. And they said, look, if you ever want to go to another show, hit us up and you can come hang out. So Florence had put on a run of US tour dates and one of them was in New York in Central Park. And 15-year-old me, the cheek of it, I just turned around to my mom and I was like, do you want to go to a Florence Machine gig in New York? Like obviously thinking she'd say no, like who in their right mind would say yes? <gasps> she said yes. Yeah, and she only fancied a trip to New York. So she was like, yeah, okay. Like there's something in it for me. So yeah, that's Hell good. yeah. Hell yeah. So off to New York we go. So does this other fan, but he ends up having to drop out last minute. But so sweet of him. He sorted us out these just like to meet Florence backstage. And I linked up with another fan in New York And all of a sudden we found ourselves, yeah, backstage at Central Park and Florence came over and she was literally the nicest artist. You know, when they're like, you should meet your idols, Mm -hmm. like don't do it. Yeah, How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I met Florence and I was like absolutely in awe of her. Like (laughs) she floated across, like she didn't walk. She just like floated. She's an angel. She's an, an absolute absolute angel. angel. I, can't, I cannot imagine being in her presence. Oh my God. And she was in this like Gucci kimono and like she just <sighs> she sat down with like myself, my mom and like I was under 18 or 21 or oh. whatever. So she couldn't offer me a beer. So she was like, do you want a cup of tea? And then her mom uh. came over, like it's chatting to my mom and like, we're all just sat in Central Park drinking a cup of tea. Like it was the weirdest thing. And uh. then 40 minutes passed. We thought we had to go back out to the crowd and she was like no 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 stay watch side stage with my friends and family like just hang out like it's all good <laughs> I was like okay and then I bumped into her creative director who was out there must have been shooting her tour diaries or something Tabitha Delham and 
I bumped into her, I bumped into Flo's management. And I was just like, look, like one day I want to be in the music industry, you know, like just chatting away. And I think they could really see how enthusiastic and how much I loved it. Tabitha gave me her email and she was like, yeah, like hit me up. It's London Fashion Week. I'm working on this like thing for Marcus Lutfer. Like we're doing a show. Hit me up and like, you can come be my assistant in London. And so I did. And I bunked off school. <laughs> you know, what else do you do other than say, yeah, obviously. It takes courage too, though. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was such a naive 15 year old. I turned up to London Fashion Week in jeans and a T-shirt. Like I had no idea what I was doing. But there I was, yeah, 15 years old. I took a few weeks off school and I just I just ran around London being this assistant to Tabitha. And then wow. that was it. Like that was it on my CV. And then I used that to get other bits here and there on my CV throughout school. From the age of 15, I would say I have been pretty much hustling, getting work when and wherever I could just to get to where Absolutely. I wanted to be, really. Incredible. I feel quite fortunate to always have known what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Because I think at that age, like you're so young at 15, so many people don't know what they want to do. I feel quite grateful that I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I can already start implementing stuff so I can get there. And I think that's why I ended up in the industry at such a young age, because I, I just started out so young. That's absolutely incredible. It says so much about you to Atlanta. It's so fucking cool to me to hear you say, like, I want to go back to courage. You bumped into Tabitha. To me, I'm like, okay, so you had to have known who Tabitha was at first. You have to take those like steps that are kind of untold. And then when you're in those situations, have courage to do exactly what you did. Like, for example, I relate because I was in Vegas and... I saw one of Lady Gaga's creative directors and immediately like I went up and I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. I have to ask him. I have to talk to him. Ended up talking to him, sharing whiskey for like an hour. If you don't do that background research, you don't know. And I think that that's that little extra detail that says so much about you. Yeah, because, you know, you never know when you'll be in that situation. I would have never in millions of years ever, ever expect that to have happened. You know, I'm a firm believer of, you know, everything does happen for a reason. And when you're presented with an opportunity, you just got to go for it. I would hate to have regretted never saying anything. And it's not like I had anything to lose. Like if someone came up to me, I would appreciate someone's gumption and someone being a bit ballsy, you know, because I would look at them and think, you know, that was me one day. And if someone wanted it so bad, you'd see that in them. They present themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think I have always kind of carried that within myself along the way. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think that is just a part of who I am. Yeah. And like I said, from the outside looking in, it seems like that's just passion for you. So how did following up with Tabitha kickstart your dream in the music industry? Did that lead into Eurovision in any way, shape or form? Yeah. Well, so Eurovision, that was a weird one. So <laughs> Eurovision, I don't know how familiar Americans are, but Eurovision, it's this huge contest where everyone from Europe and now randomly Australia are getting involved they all compete and it's one of the most campist and extra events that just ever goes on and the UK are like notoriously really really bad at it but you also have Eurovision to thank for the birth of ABBA that gave us ABBA if anything so yeah it's massive in Europe and for a family friend really we knew a woman called Nicolene who runs her own business she's also just an absolute boss creative force and she was selected to design all of the individual countries sets lighting graphics the whole thing and I think there was like 50 odd different countries competing so that's like 50 individual set designs and the scale of that project was just absolutely enormous so I was brought on to be her assistant and I did all kinds of things in that project but for about four months my entire life was Eurovision I was midway through studying at ACM the Academy of Contemporary Music I was in my second year and ACM they couldn't actually authorize my time off so I wanted to come back and do the next level up in music business can I interrupt why is that I feel like ACM is so supportive of internships you would think right you would think for some reason they couldn't authorize it and they said in order to get 
on to your music business course, which was a degree level, I was on a lower diploma level doing a production course at this point. They said, you have to come back and you have to pass your production diploma to get on to the next level. And I'd taken like half a year out. So by the time I finished Eurovision, I had to come back and catch up on half a year's work in a course in about space of a month and pass it to get on to my next one, which somehow, I don't know how, I managed to pass it. That was just another big thing to put my CV, I guess. It wasn't necessarily music industry industry. It's more entertainment Eurovision. But it was, again, like, I was just in that mindset of being a student of, I want to do everything and anything that I possibly can to get where I want to be. And I think I still have that as well. Like, I always think like five years ahead and I probably shouldn't think so far ahead. I should probably live in the moment a bit more. But yeah, I'm always thinking, where do I want to be in five years time? How can I get there? And what can I be doing now so I can get there? Yeah, so that's... (laughs) kind of the plan. That's awesome. I think that Eurovision is important because I think it kind of shows how like, how old were you when you did Eurovision? Eurovision, I was 18. I just turned 18. Yeah. So throughout that time from like 15 to 18, it's crazy that you found such a big gig, honestly, which is why like I wanted to mention it because those are just staple pieces in your life, but it's big opportunity after big opportunity. And like, you're the example of that is so possible. I want to know how you finished your diploma in like a month. And it says so much about you again, because it's like, I want to know how the drive for success overpowers the amount of work. That's it, isn't it? To me, it was like, I have to pass this because I want to do the next thing. I don't have another option. I have to do this, whatever it took. So I just did all the extra hours. I put in double the amount of work to catch up. I got all of the help that I possibly could, like with all of my colleagues and like tutors and peers. And I did just absolutely everything. And I just really, really knuckled down. I was gonna say, is that how you kind of took that next step into continuously finding internships? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I was always looking at internships throughout my entire time at ACM. And I think I always knew that you can't just turn up to a music college and then go home it's everything you do outside of that, isn't it? So I remember there were like a few people on campus, like names that you would just know. And they were the people that were going out and like doing stuff, like working on things that are outside of lesson time. And all of those people have gone on to get significant jobs in the music industry. And I think it's quite telling from an early age. Before I left college, I was already in with Metropolis Studios, who are quite a large music studio in London. I was paying my way to get up to London all the time in my spare time and then going back, doing a weekend job and then going and studying. And then I would do like remote internships. I would put on gigs. And what was your goal with this? Just the experience? Yeah, just to get everything on my CV because I knew that going to a music college or getting an education alone that is not sufficient enough to get the job I wanted and I wanted to work at Sony Music and I wanted to work at big major record labels I knew a lot of people in major record labels didn't go to uni it's about everything else that they carried with them and when I got into the Sony Music internships and they got to the final interviews, the two questions they asked me were, one, what music do you listen to? And two, what else do you do outside of your studies? Wow. Wait, so one of the final questions was, what do you listen to? They waited to ask that question? Yeah, it was just one of the questions they asked me. And so basically with the Sony Music internships, that whole process, it's a bit like the X Factor. It's the most intense interview process I think I've ever done. And they whittle you down from about 5,000 applicants to like 30 people. And then there are like labels within Sony Music, like Columbia, RCA, Psycho at the time. And I had about six individual interviews around the building. And then it was with Columbia Records and it was one of them who already had recognized me because I'd done some street teaming with them when I was a student, again, just doing everything and anything. 
And they said, yeah, when we saw your CV land, we already knew your name. We already knew what you could do. So like, just tell me, like, what do you get up to in your spare time? Like, it was such an easy interview from then on. That's when I could turn around and be like, oh, I've done this, 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 and this. Oh, and I did all these studies as well. Like I went to music college, but that's never been the first thing I mentioned. It's all of my experience that I've done in the past. That's incredible. And that also says a lot about Sony to me too. I mean, I'd love to know more like about your experiences within big labels and kind of how like that went. But you mentioned too that you were street teaming for Columbia. So they already knew you. Like that is a big part of the music industry. Even those small side gigs, you have no idea what it could turn into in the future. Like no idea whatsoever. And again, you're the example of that. So you got the internship, right? Yes. Yeah. All part of the master plan, wasn't it? <laughs> there still really is today not really a proper plan I more just go with it but yeah so Columbia Records I don't think they even do street teaming anymore because it's 2021 and everything is digital it's all digital so what five years ago street teaming existed and it was a case of going out and handing out tote bags and flyers to people at gigs and getting people to sign up to artists mailing lists it was proper DIY like bottom of the pile this is the shit job you got to do basically so, <laughs> been there and I went and did it and that's how I ended up meeting people in the marketing department at Columbia Records a year before I went and interviewed for the internships and I genuinely think that played a massive part in getting my role you got to choose which label within Sony you worked with yeah, no, I did because I had multiple offers, which was absolutely mind blowing. I remember the exact moment I got that call. I was working in a shoe shop and my job was to like stack shoe boxes and like put them away and like in the back. <laughs> so I had this like, yeah, like really like scroungy job. And I got a call whilst I was working in the stock room and it was from the HR department at Sony Music. And they called me and they said, Atlanta, you're the first person we wanted to call. You've got offers from da 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 and Columbia. And I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, that, what? That is insane. It was here, like running around the stockroom, like, what is happening? And I was like, <laughs> can I choose? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, like, you know, who do you want to go with? And I was like, I think Columbia feels right. Like, that was always a record label that I dreamt of working with. And was that because of their roster? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the roster is just other levels. Like it's huge. And I already felt tied to the label because, you know, I'd already built those connections up with the street team and it just felt like the natural home for me. And so, yeah, I chose Columbia and it felt like I'd just gotten like my big break. And and that but was really, it. you'd been working for it for years. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, because it was my first salaried job. Everything else was all unpaid since I was 15, really, if you think about it. Wow. I didn't know that they had interns on salary. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a very, very small salary in London, but it's paid. And so... <laughs> That feeling, yes, it's pain. Yes, <laughs> I can pay my rent. Yeah, so off I went up to the big city. So what were some skills that you like exemplified to continue moving up at Sony or at Columbia? Yeah, so the thing is they get you in as a marketing intern, but you have your own roster and what you're doing as an intern, you're essentially doing the same thing that the marketing assistant, full-time employee, like long-term is also doing. So they really throw you in at the deep end and then you assist two marketing managers and they kind of show you the ropes, but it's really on you to like pick it up as soon as possible. I would probably say it is the best internship out of all of the majors and that I might be biased in saying that, but it's because you get to start with like 30 other people and you're all in the same boat. So already you've got that support network with you. So you have you. to be a team player too. Yeah, yeah, massively. One thing I really found with marketing as well, like they loved people with ideas. Like they really encouraged you to speak up in meetings. And like, if you had something to say, or if you had an idea, like no idea was too big or too small, like just say it. In a record label marketing, you are really the central hub of that artist campaign on the label side. The organization has to be like military precision. And so that was a big learning. I was organized for sure, but like I'm an Aquarius, not a Capricorn. So <laughs> <laughs> there was like a level of it. development there. I remember when, by the time I got to Ireland, one of the marketing directors literally said to me, like, you have to be a robot 
to work in this job. And I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm out of here. But what even? <laughs> what a robot? No. Yeah, what even? But was it even slightly true? I mean, technically, I guess you do. Yeah, <laughs> because everything is so much scheduling. And like as a record label, major record label, you never stop releasing records. It's every week you never stop. And you can have multiple records out or multiple versions. And it is literally just churning out all the time, releasing records. And these rosters at major labels are huge. Like I was looking after a roster of artists I think I got up to like 50 artists at one point. Stop. What does that mean though? Is this at Island? Yeah. And Columbia. Basically you get what's called a roster. You have your set artists and it will be like split between like international artists and then you have your domestic artists. And when they're domestic and they're your own country, you'll be the leading force of that campaign. So you will obviously be doing the marketing, but you will be overseeing like a lot of promo elements and radio and you have to be like across like absolutely everything of that campaign. So when you said that you're overseeing 50 artists on your roster, is that just yours? Is that just you looking over them? I would be assisting two marketing managers. So that would be two marketing managers rosters combined and then like split between one assistant. It's an intense job. You've got to love marketing to do it. And know your craft too. Yeah, yeah, massively. There are some brilliant marketers out there. And I felt it got to a point in my life where I was just like, I don't want to just do marketing for like the rest of my career. Like I want to do everything. And I felt very compelled to be on the artist's team. I mean, everyone is on the artist's team. Do you think that working at labels kind of did that? I think I took a step back and I was like, why did I want to be in this industry? Because I started out as an artist when I joined ACM. And I always said to myself, if I'm not the one on the stage, I want to be the one on the side of the stage. And I took a look around and I was at this amazing record label, huge budgets. At Island, my roster was like Drake and Nicki Minaj and Post Malone. Like it was huge. But I was just like, I want to get out there. Like I want to go and experience the industry. I want to know like specifics just as examples for what you did for artists such as Drake Post Malone and Jesse Ware, just because like those are massive names. And to hear that there are only a few representatives, you know, in each country working on those campaigns, it just seems like almost impossible. So I would love to know just a couple of those examples of your tasks and maybe how it kind of showed you that marketing is its own beast and that there is so much more to the music industry. Yeah. So like Jessie Ware was our, she was domestic. So we were like really the ones leading that campaign and she was doing an album campaign. So I think a lot of jobs as the marketing assistant, I would be like in charge of sorting her glam and putting together like release timelines, loads of scheduling, like creating and like briefing assets. And it's very desk heavy job. And I think that's why I decided to later on move into management because I just wanted to get out and about more. I I wanted to travel and I wanted to be with the artists more. And you would say that management is more like on the field. Exactly. Yeah. And I think as a marketing assistant and especially at bigger companies, it's, you do feel a lot like a smaller fish. It does feel a lot like whoever does shout the loudest gets heard. And you really, as a marketing assistant, you are the biggest support role to the marketing manager. And the marketing manager really is the person that everyone goes to for everything there'll be so many things as a marketing assistant that you would end up doing like I would end up doing a lot of things that would probably be a promo department's job or for the radio assistant but it would just naturally fall to you it's one of those and I guess there are similar elements in management where there are so many jobs that need to be done that you are just that pillar and people will just ultimately always go to you so I guess on the artist team it's obviously the management and then on the record label side it's always like the marketing department who are really just like the leading force of the campaign. Thank you for saying that I think that that like clarified a lot of like questions I have too because I think that people don't really give marketing enough input you know thank you for sharing that insight it's insane to even think about 
what all goes into one release. Also, not to mention, I can't imagine being in that position for too long. I don't know how to say that like politely, you know what I mean? But like, I can't imagine being a marketing assistant and taking that much weight and doing that much stuff for every other person. I can kind of like see how you would want to continue moving on. You kind of do whatever you have to do, but at the same time, it's like your foot is in the door and you know that there's a thousand people and more that want to be there. Oh, massively. Yeah. It's a very competitive job especially at the major labels. And even when you're in it, it still feels quite competitive. And I think there is a lot of pressure on marketing. You've got to be on your shit. You cannot afford to let things slip. But the volume of work is humongous. Like, yeah, just like what my marketing director was saying, I guess you do have to be a bit like a robot. (laughs) So did you have to separate or do both digital and guerrilla marketing? What we would call traditional marketing. But we live in such a digital world. There is your dedicated digital marketing team. But because marketing get involved with all of the aspects of the campaign, they would also be doing a lot of digital marketing bits. Like we would have like digital ad campaigns that we would initiate. And would you have to like watch those analytics? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to do all the stats, all of the weekly updates, weekly reporting. Yeah, all over it. Like, and that's kind of distilled in me now. Like, I'll be watching the midweeks every day and calculating, like, how far are we away from, like, a top 20, top 10? Like, okay, like, what else can we be doing to get those up? Like, what incentives can we be doing? So I think having that marketing experience in me as a manager definitely helps you've got to be a bit of a nerd, I think, about marketing. (laughs) And I think marketing managers would be like, wait, (laughs) but I think you definitely do. Like you have to be like master of organization. Yeah. Yeah. Top of the game. So I'd love to know, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer management or do you prefer marketing? Like before we even get into the management side? Oh, management. 100%. For some reason, when I was in marketing, I talked myself out of going into management for so long. I just kept putting it off. In my head, I thought, you have to know so much about the industry. Like, you just have to know everything to be a manager. Like, all I know is marketing at a major label. Like, that's not enough. It was just myself just being stupid, man. Like, just (laughs) ignoring everything that I've done for years. And it turns out that even the most senior people don't know everything in the industry. Like most people are pretty much making it up as they go and they are winging it. (laughs) And I didn't realize that until I kind of grew up a bit in the industry, but it came to a point in my life where I remember someone at the label when I was at Ireland getting to go to America for the first time for work. And I think they were like about 10 years older than me. They had worked their ass off at this label. Like they were so good at their job and they were a really, really hard worker. And yeah, they were super excited to go to America. And I was like, I want to do that now. I don't want to wait 10 years, like 10 years of my life to get sent to America for work. Like I want to do that right now. And that was really kind of the triggering point of me to be like, I think it's time I step into management and boy, aren't I glad I did. (laughs) So what was that first step? It was such a, like, your standard see a job being advertised anonymously online, go for said job, go to two interviews, get the job. There was no, like, grand procession or, like, courting they do when they try to sign someone or they poach someone from another company. It was just, like, sign up like everybody else. So I went into the interview and so it was Crown Talent Media Group, who I'm still with. Brilliant, brilliant CEO, Mark Hargreaves. Love him and all of his family. It's just such a nicer working environment. Such a smaller team. Yeah, I'd gone from this huge universal music group, biggest music company in the world, to a small family-run talent management group and my roster went from like 50 to two and it was beautiful and when I got the job it was initially for management it was a management assistant job for Becky Hill and when I got it no one really in the UK knew Becky Hill like they know her now when I got the job I would have to sing Becky's number one 
single overdrive her other hit afterglow to people like i'd have to sing the songs to people and then i saw the shift she's everywhere now yeah everywhere all over the radio and i saw that shift change like a year and a half later when we released wish you well with sagala and i would be walking out and about we were sat in a park in king's cross one day and a group of youths were sat next to us and they were like put on some becky hill and they started singing wish you well and i was just like oh my god it's happening it's happening was that personal for you? Like, did you feel that for the artist for the first time? Like, since it was so much more personal? It did massively. And I think especially for Becky, like she has worked tirelessly for like eight years in this industry. She's grown up in this industry as well. And from the moment I started working with her to where she's now, like even seeing that change, she's just come into her own and absolutely smashing it. I mean, she's just such a good songwriter. Her vocals are insane and sharing that moment of like coming on board because I came on board the same time she just signed to Polydor and it was literally like both starting at the same time and seeing that growth and going through that wish you well campaign that really felt like the tipping point in her career to just becoming the standalone artist that she's always deserved to be yeah that was a massive moment like whenever I go into the shops and either Becky or Ella are playing in the background, I get excited every time or like they come on the radio and I'm like, oh, we should Shazam it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Shazam. Get it in. So do you still manage Becky Hill? Yeah, well, so I worked with Becky for two and a half years, right up until October just gone. And it got to a point about last year where... Both the girls, both Becky and Ella, were at such pivotal moments in their career. It was just so, so busy. And this was like, we're talking like the Christmas before COVID hit. So this is like Q4 Christmas promo. It's like the busiest time of the year. And I would literally be going to a Becky Hill shoot in East and then running across London for the rest of the day to go to like an Ella Henderson shoot in West. And there was... Two very, very busy artists, both priorities. That's what you wanted to run around to exactly, be in that Exactly, yeah. But it just got to the point where I was like, I think for the benefit of both of these artists, they both need their own dedicated day-to-day manager. And yeah, it was kind of like a eight-month process of like finding the right fit and it all naturally, you know, working out so then I could kind of move off and just focus on Ella and we also launched like an indie record label within the management company that we've been developing the past year and then Becky's tour manager obviously there's been no touring the past year she's actually now kind of stepped up and she's doing a lot more day-to-day management duties and she's also just so good at her job as well and so both artists really I'd like to think are you know in the best of hands which is what I could only hope so I'm still like protective too yeah I'm still like eagle-eyed on Becky's campaign like very fondly watching it you know you know I think when you do so much work on one artist's career for such a long amount of time I'm always going to feel tied to it in some way you become a little bit attached to it yeah yeah you definitely do Yeah, it's lovely just managing the one artist at the moment. Ella has literally become my life. (laughs) Ella Henderson, she's awesome. I was literally listening to her this morning. But I feel like I bring people on the podcast that have a good ear for pop and you totally have a great ear for pop. I want to know, how do you pick who to work with? Like, how do you pick who to manage? And are there any non-negotiable qualities that an artist must have to be on your roster or with Crown? I'm very, very picky so picky I think we all are really like all of us music lot at crown you know I think obviously that's a good thing to be and we don't take on someone for the sake of it because that would be doing an injustice to the artist for me it's number one the music it has to be the music I will get sent so much music and so many emails with lots of different links but it's always the music I go to and if that doesn't catch me within the first listen, then I'm not really going to feel compelled to check anything else out just because the volume of everything we get in. 
for me, I'm just looking for something that resonates and that I personally can feel like there's a space for it because like it's so, so busy out there and it's harder than ever now to break an artist. Even when you're up there to get into like the top 10, it's just so, so difficult. Like it's mad, like the lengths people are going to. And now we have to compete against songs that are coming through TikTok. Like it's never ending. So when it comes to like new talent, I think obviously the music has to resonate and it has to just instantly ignite something in me. Yeah. And then secondly, there has to be something about that artist that makes me interested to want to get to know them more. Like I'm not so fussed about your next plain Jane or or your next singer songwriter with the guitar but if someone that was a singer songwriter with a guitar came along and they were just doing something different, then it's another conversation. For sure. I also think that we're kind of coming out of this weird, like early 2010s where like, you know, it was Bonnie Vare and all this like really kind of like hipster singer songwriter folk music. I feel like you kind of have like that different ear of let's have some beats. Let's reach a mass audience. Yeah. And I think, I guess just the way my career's evolved, I've always worked with major artists and I guess that's what I do best and that's the market that I know more of rather than like the indie label world which to me just feels like a whole other world you have to be so so clever about the way you spend your money and develop your artist if you're you know in the indie world we've got smaller development artists now we've got an in-house record label that we've built up called truth records and there are development artists on that and just the amount of work that goes into it and all the different things you've got to think about rather than going in at like major level, it's so different. But what is nice is that we've got artists on the roster who really know who they want to be. And I've worked with artists in the past who don't. And the difference is so, so nice to work with an artist who is the one leading it. And like they're coming up with the creative ideas and like, it's not just about music. Like they've thought of everything, like the branding, their social tone and what they stand for as an artist, like what topics they want to get involved in and online. And that really matters. That is, yeah, I think that's so important because I agree in this world now, you can't just release your music and sit back and hope the streams are going to roll in. The ones that do stand out, they are the ones that get involved in everything. And they have a voice and they want to use it on whatever platform that may be. When you're working with an artist who feels like they are leading it, that's, I think, a manager's absolute dream. Because as a manager, you never want to feel like you're dragging an artist through it. You want them to be excited so the rest of the team can be excited about who they want to be as an artist and a songwriter and a performer. And they're not leaning on you too much because they have that vision. It's collaborative, really. And that's, I think, the best artist-manager partnerships around when you can bounce off those ideas. But as a manager, you can't be the artist. There has to be a level of control from the artist. You know, it has to come from them. And I always say that to any artist I work with, I think you have to know who you want to be as an artist because it's always got to come from you. And people were watching. People can sense that. Fans aren't stupid they can tell when something isn't authentic. Yeah, and you can also tell when someone just wants fame. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think, yeah, authenticity is a massive one as well. Of course, managers are there to help the artists find that within themselves, especially in the development stage. Once you get cooking and they don't know who they want to be or where they want to go, that can kind of lead you to a vulnerable place. So we always make sure to work and develop for as long as it takes until we need to, you know, push the button and get going in campaign. Thank you for saying it because I have a lot of younger listeners. I have a lot of artists who listen too. So yeah, I love having my guests answer questions that I hope that can, you know, really help artists out there who are DIY or who, you know, want to be on that grander scale because it's possible. But I'm curious, what are some of your day-to-day tasks as a manager? What don't I do? If we're talking pre-pandemic, it's a lot more interesting. So let's pretend pandemic doesn't exist for a bit. So things I would be doing, what we call the fun stuff, hyphenated, it would be like a lot of promo. So TV performances, touring, video shoots. You are the go-to manager to 
be with the artist on all of these as well as like organizing all of them like I talk a lot with like my colleague and work wife who day-to-day is Nina Nesbitt and we always joke and we're like we're actually professional communicators for a living because all we do is communicate all day every day to someone and anyone and I think I counted in campaign I've got over like 25 active whatsapp group chats just on work and the campaign alone and then you've got individual texts calls zooms emails in real life meetings I mean it sounds like you're dedicated to your artist you might have all these things going at once and you have the skills to be organized but ultimately you are dedicated to your artist which is why you're willing to take this on and you love it massively you have to love it like you have to love the artist's music to work with them because that becomes your soundtrack and Like I talk to my artist all day, every day. I speak to Ella more than most of my friends and like my own mother sometimes, sorry, mum. but it is constant and it's not a nine to five job. It's just whenever you need to get the work done. So a big bulk is like organizing and obviously having those office days, like doing the admin, but then you get all of the great stuff that comes with it, like going to your Wembley stadium sound checks at like eight in the morning and having the whole place yourself or going to international music video shoots to like Vietnam and Petra and Beijing and like that's all the good stuff and that's why you do all the admin work so you get to go experience the world of the industry with the artist but then like so the way I kind of explain it really is you have your artist then you have the management team and then you have all of the artists teams and that could be like lawyer accountant the record label within the record label you've got like A&R marketing promo tv whatever in there you can even have like I don't know artists personal trainer or dog walker whatever it is all of those people are the people that you will be talking with and then it's your job essentially to funnel all of that information down and simplify it so it's absolutely like as clear and concise as possible and then you need to relay it to your artist in whatever way they prefer working to make sure you get that job done and like in a timely manner every single artist works very very differently they're a certain breed of human and they're very different to I think anybody else that works in the industry and it's kind of like the manager's job to bring out the best in them obviously and elevate their career but you've also got to be like totally flexible to however they work and it's almost like you have to have that like sixth sense with your artists like you have to be so in tune with them you're saying you're in contact with them 24 7 but how do you draw that work friendship boundary like are you friends with your artist but where do you draw the boundary that's the thing isn't it it's such a unique working relationship It's not a normal working relationship because everything is so much easier if you do click. And I think with Ella, like we just click straight away. She's such a warm, humble, open human being. She is literally like one of the nicest humans I've ever met. And she's so easy to work with and so great at just being up for, you know, so much stuff. And it really does feel very, very collaborative with her. Of course, you can't just be colleagues I think whatever it is you do you've got to have fun because otherwise what is the point and Ella's great she's always up for it like she's just up for a laugh we always have banter because the days are long and there's a lot of waiting around on video shoots and at airports and stuff and it's so nice to have an artist who can also be your mate and like you can just joke and like you can hang out and she can just FaceTime me or I can go over to hers and have dinner and hang out and like I'm close with her mum she's close with mine and it is lovely having that because we're born a week apart literally a week apart and so I guess we're both like young females in the music industry me and my business partner are also literally a week apart like to the day yeah so she gets it right Yes. Yes. I love what you're saying. I totally relate. I feel like it's so cool to hear you say that you want to be friends with them. It's almost like this mutual, like understanding of benefit and beautiful reward. Yeah. And it makes all the communication so much easier as well. I think 
obviously, first and foremost, you are their manager. There's so much work stuff you have to get done. The boundary should never be lowered too much. But I think what works so well with Ella and I is that we both understand that and we both just have this harmony in our relationship where we respect each other both ways and we both want to get the best out of whatever we're aiming for and whatever target in campaign or the best vocal mix or you know we both respect each other to sound off opinions and collaborate you know and then at the end of the working day we can be like all right should we go grab a beer and like just chill out and I think that's what makes the working day so much easier when you know you can turn up to a promo shoot and you know it's Ella and she knows it's me and we're both so comfortable with each other there's nothing I feel like we can say to each other and being able to have that honesty and that trust I think is so so important I'd honestly love to know more about her and even like what she's up to and what your team is working on with Ella right now yeah so we are in the midst of campaign so it's busy it's busy busy yeah, oh my God, we we shot a music video in January. So in the UK, we're in like a super heavy lockdown at the moment. It's so strict that Ella has promo and she has to just go on her own. She has to go to like these pig TVs on her own, bless her. They just won't let people in the studios. Even a manager. Yeah, yeah. We did a promo. It was a live Sunday TV and we drove Ella to the studio, but they wouldn't let me in because of COVID. So I sat in the car outside and I just watched it on my phone. And I was like, look, if you need me, I'm here. I just can't go in the building. I can't believe you also like shot a music video in a pub in lockdown. I like, I feel like England, I love England. I talk about England way too much on this podcast (laughs) because it's just my favorite place in the whole entire world. But I love that, you know, you still do have those lockdown restrictions. And I want to know like, were there any safety precautions? What was it like visually? Because, you know, in five years, I want to look back at this and be like, whoa, that is what Atlanta experienced during a pandemic while shooting a music video. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we'll ever experience it again, hopefully touching a lot of wood. (laughs) fingers crossed but yeah I mean even now still whilst we're talking the UK is in a very harsh lockdown the pubs haven't opened since last year they cancelled our Christmas with like two days notice I think everyone's really just missing the pub the pubs are the heart of England so this song feels very much like the vibe of like fairy tale of New York like the Pogues like that kind of old musky pub setting and we wanted to emulate that but there were a lot of challenges because of covid so we all had to go for a covid test before everyone that was entering the site and then isolate for two days and then when you arrived on site you had a rapid test and then they did this thing called covid fogging which i hadn't heard before but it's this massive machine and they disinfect the entire building. It can take like an hour to do. So we're there in January. It's like 5 a.m. You've got a 17-hour day ahead of you. And you're literally waiting for this building to be like COVID disinfectant whilst you're getting like the swab up your nose, the absolute glamour. And then everyone's allowed in. You all have to be masked up the whole time. And because we were restricted to like a certain amount of people, it meant that myself being a manager I had to get roped in as being an extra in the background and then I'd formed what's called a bubble with my housemates so we're obviously in the same home all the time so I roped my housemate to be in it then we had like people from the production team like doubling up as extras it was all kind of just everyone's in it and we all just do what we can everyone mucked in So yeah, so there's, I think there's a lot of shots of me just like walking around aimlessly in the background of that video. (laughs) Life as a manager in the pandemic. Look, I will sit outside your promo in the car for three hours and I will also be in your music video. You know, whatever it takes, I will do it. (laughs) You are dedicated as fuck. Dedication, yeah. awesome. Exactly, right? Wrapping it up here, I would love to know, in your opinion, what does it take to be a successful artist manager? Success, I feel, is, you know, how does one measure that? Because I feel like you can have the number ones and you can have all the platinum and gold discs, or you can just really be good at like sustaining an artist's career over like 10 years and like keeping a solid fan base that 
earns you significant money over the years. So I feel like- I'd love to take a moment real quick since you mentioned <clears throat> Platinum Records. I'd love to plug <laughs> oh, no, you here right here because why not? Literally, as soon as we open up this FaceTime, her background is just all these Platinum Records. It's unbelievable. I oh, mean, you can God. clarify here, but- I just want to know how many platinum records do you have and in how many years? Because it just says so fucking much about you. And I just want to have that slight plug because why the fuck not? For the record, you did flag this question before. So I actually did count how many. I don't just sit around with like a number off the top of my head. Be like, oh, I've got this many. <laughs> so I did actually count. And I think it's something like if it's management alone, we're looking at about like 11 platinum gold silvers but then if you add up all of like the campaigns I worked on at record labels I think it then goes up to like 25. Holy crap you're incredible there's something to be said about your work ethic that's why I really wanted you as a guest because of how you hustle like no one I think I've ever known. Thank you I really appreciate that it's a weird one I guess because I feel so in it all the time I never ever stop and look back on anything. I mean, I touched on earlier, like saying how I just live in the future all the time. I always put that pressure on myself to be like, what can I be doing more of? Like, how else can I be doing better? So is there not like a big end goal? You're just always like wanting to do better. Always, always. I think it's a blessing and a curse probably. I just think that's how my mind is set now. And especially when you're like in campaign, I feel so, so passionate to want to do the absolute best that I can. So artists like Ella that I'm working with get to do the best that they can. And, you know, that's what I wake up and work towards every day. And I think you have to remind yourself of that because otherwise you do get a bit lost and it does get quite overwhelming. I remember when I got my first gold record and I was like, oh my God, this is what I dreamt of. <laughs> and I was like such and a it's yours. huge moment yeah now it's, it's now it's up there I've always wondered how does a manager also work on a record well the discs that I have on my walls all of them are up there because I feel like I've really worked for them I wouldn't have them up there otherwise I would feel like that's unfair so that's why I feel like in management you are doing everything around the campaign like you're talking to everyone and you know you will be helping manage and guide socials you'll be coming up with social ideas and strategies marketing ideas you arrange all of the promo and just everything that goes into a campaign like you can help develop the A&R process if a mix comes back and I'm like I actually think you could probably sound better on that or I think that level should be taken down or we should tweak that anything like that you can get involved in. So really it's like a 360 involvement in an artist's campaign. I feel like when it comes to working on a record, you are absolutely golden. Like you are in there. Like you really are a key person to that record success. And so for Let's Go Home Together, that's out now, I'm just living and breathing that record. Like I will dream of it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about it real quick. So it is a record with Ella Henderson and Tom Grennan. It's a duet. It was written before my time, before I even joined the company. It's been around for about four years, originally written with James Arthur. And it was always just a case of finding the right time of when we could release it. And it came to, yeah, this point in time. Really, it's quite like a tongue-in-cheek story of, so-and-so walks into a pub, sees the other person from across the room and it's a case of like, do they or don't they go home together? It's, you know, very much like that when we could all go into a pub and like get with someone, I think. <laughs> so yeah, the music video is really fun. It's really cute. It just feels a bit like a warm hug, I think. I think we all need a bit of that. Exactly. Atlanta, thank you so much for being here. I've enjoyed talking to you. And honestly, I feel like I could talk to you for fucking ages. Thank you so much. You are doing so many things that so many people in the music industry want to do. Like you've done it. You have it under your belt. It's so inspiring and so oh, eye-opening to see that you can transition from going to big labels to management and be completely different, but still be so proud of your decision and know that you're doing the right thing within the music industry, even if it's just like right now for this moment. 
Yeah, thank you very much. I ask every guest, what is your gold moment? I think it's got to be the baptism of all fires when I first got into management. I'd been in the job for maybe a month and my boss who hired me was like, I'm off to go have a baby. So I kind of need you to like run the ship. And I was like, okay, so what's the plan here? And I was managing, well, assisting managing Becky Hill and I'd met her maybe once or twice. And my boss turned around and was like, okay, so Chanel have booked Becky for a gig in <gasps> Beijing, uh, casual. And not only that, you'll go out and essentially tour manage this gig for Chanel. And then the plan is to stay on in Beijing for the week. And you're going to shoot Becky's first music video on her new record label, Polydor. And I was like, oh my God, I've oh made... God the right decision to go into management but also oh my god (laughs) I was like yeah of course I can do that and you had been there for like a month literally a month yeah and I just turned 21 and I had completely winged it pretty much it was one of those where it was like say yes and then learn later which is pretty much how I've always gotten by we found ourselves off to Beijing and I ran that with like military position like I had absolutely everything organized to a T I had printed off this itinerary and I even thought of like local hospitals and then I also then had the local language translated underneath in case of emergency China have their own firewall, which blocks your WhatsApp. So I had to arrange like VPNs before we all flew out. And like, I was talking to like all our local transport. So I arrange all the ground travel when we landed and like just so, so many moving parts. And I was all over it, like triple copies and scans of passports and visas, like anything and everything I thought of it. Cause I was like, this is the test. So we get to Beijing, we do the gig with Chanel, they take us out for dinner, it's all wonderful, everything very... No big deal. No big deal, it's all good. You just did it. Yeah, no problem. And then, because of the visa issue in China, it takes so long to sort, we get a call and it's like, okay, you're now off to Vietnam because the crew can't get to Beijing in time. So we're booking you a flight to Vietnam tomorrow and off you go. The whole plan had changed. Great. So I'm in this, <laughs> I'm in the middle of Beijing and now I've got to, you know, navigate all of these changes. It's just me and Becky out there. We have to wait around for a bit and then navigate our way to Vietnam and meet all of the crew and everyone out there. It was a two day back to back shoot that ended up turning into three days. I think I got like 90 minutes sleep in between the first and second day. It was the most intense thing I think I've ever done. We went from like Hanoi city and then we drove all the way up into like Halong Bay, which is this like beautiful protected bay. And we went on a boat at sunset. The song's called Sunrise in the East. So that meant we had to get up ahead of sunrise every morning and then go into like two hours glam. And it was relentless. And then we wrapped on the third day. We ran back, had one wrap drink and then ran to the airport to catch our flight back to London. And I came back from that. I actually had to go and run to, I think it was like the Russian consulate or embassy because I was actually having to go out to Russia the next few days with a different artist. And it was just the most mad, amazing month. Atlanta, that is, I am literally shook. That is insane. I also want to know how many months after you left Ireland? So yeah, it was only a few months after Ireland that I went into management. Yeah, just turned 21. And so I was so young looking back. But it's one of those where like the video turned out so great. Everyone had a great time. That video we shot with Ella was the same producer and director that I met in Vietnam. So that was a like full circle moment. Every time I see them, we're like, Vietnam, man, we we survived it. (laughs) Yeah, but I look back on that and I'm like, you know what? If I can do that, I feel like... I could probably handle most things now because that was just one of those situations where everything was changing, brand new, different people, brand new set of problems you've got to deal with on the go in the middle of wherever the hell you are. And it was biggest learning curve, but feel like it kind of shaped the manager that I am now. Genuinely, it sounds like being thrown to the wolves like nonstop is 
kind of just a part of the music industry best way to and go also about it. a part of your story in which you've come out so fucking strong so that's a piece of advice that I also tell people too is just be thrown to the wolves just do it just be scared just do something that makes you so uncomfortable but you have that like core inside that you know you want to do it for a reason going out your comfort zone isn't it I think is the best way to learn because nothing good ever comes of staying in your comfort zone does it Atlanta where can people find you you know, find me on TikTok. That's my new thing. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. First name Atlanta, real name, last name Cobb. Yeah. TikTok is where it's at now these days. Also, where can we find your artists? Ella Henderson on Spotify. And then we've got an artist, Cody Frost. She is making waves already. She's got one release out and I think she's going to be the next big thing. And I might not be biased there. What are some songs we should listen to by them? So you should check out Let's Go Home Together by Ella Henderson. And you should check out Verbal Warnings by Cody Frost. Heard it here first. Boom. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. It's crazy that there are only three episodes left of this season. Women and Music Season 2. Another one under my belt, and here I was in 2019, scared shitless to even hear my own voice recorded. Well, you know what? You have to start somewhere. Having Atlanta on Women and Music was like having an old friend that you just know one day who will take over the world. You just fucking know it, and that's how I feel about Atlanta. My guests mean so much to me, and I handpick every single one to best match the diversity and inclusion I'd personally love to see in the music industry. I share stories I'd like to hear and ask questions that allow the guests to brag on themselves. This is how we lift women up. We listen to them, and we hear what they have to say. Next week's guest is someone I've spun vinyl for. In fact, I used to intern at the label she signed to. She's from New Zealand, and no, it's not Lord, but one day it definitely will be. Tune in on my personal Instagram at Alexa A. Ace for updates on guest appearances and behind the scenes. Chat soon. <laughs>